I know it can be sometimes seem like nothing gets done in Washington. You don't say. The work of the government can be slow and frustrating and sometimes even infuriating. I'm sure I have no idea what you're talking about, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, up in Rochester, New York, on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, Great AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, ColeSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all of your favorite podcast sites, or most of them blanketing planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, so I've heard, or at least says me. And me too sometimes. Thank you. <laughs> From bradblog.com, that of course is the always swell Desi Doyen. Hello, Desiree. Hey. Apparently, uh, Climate Week continues here on the Bradcast <clears throat> for at least the uh, second, now maybe third or so straight week in a row. I don't know. We have a Green News report coming up for you a little bit later on the show. But since we laid down today's GNR earlier today, more disturbing climate news, this time out of the great state of Kentucky. At least three people, as we go to air right now, have died. Many others were missing or stranded on rooftops on Thursday after heavy rains across southeastern Kentucky touched off what the governor said was, quote, one of the worst, most devastating flooding events in state history. Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat, confirmed the deaths at a news conference hours after he had told state residents to prepare for loss of life as a result of flooding that inundated homes and turned roads and highways into rushing rivers. The governor told Kentucky residents that they should brace themselves for more deaths as rescue efforts continue. He said, I expect double-digit deaths, which is something he said we rarely see. More than 25,000 residents uh, were without power and cell phone service was down in many areas, he said. The scenes in Kentucky come just two days after the record rainfall drenched parts of the St. Louis region with uh, up to a foot of rain that fell within hours and quickly flooded interstates and neighborhoods. Two people died there. One was uh, just found on Wednesday in a semi-truck that the authorities said had been 
submerged in floodwaters, just to give you an idea of the t- how much water there was. Uh, while a variety of factors contribute, contribute to flooding, researchers expect that as the climate warms, says the New York Times, flash floods will increase and get, quote, flashier, mm. meaning their duration will actually shorten as their magnitude increases. Several flash floods can be more dangerous, they note, and destructive. Uh, I believe climate change is real, Governor Bashir told reporters. He said, quote, I believe that it is causing more severe weather. With that said, I don't know about this one and whether it is connected or not, and I don't want to cheapen or politicize what these folks are going through. Not sure how telling the truth about what these folks are going through actually cheapens it, especially as more flooding is expected over the next 24 hours in the bluegrass state. But then he ended the press conference by saying, quote, massive property damage is expected. Hundreds are likely to lose their homes. Quote, this is going to be yet another event that is going to take not months, but likely years for many families to rebuild and recover from. The flooding in Kentucky, he said, comes after comes months after devastating Swarms of tornadoes in December. In December, those killed at least 74 people across the state. In December. He said, I wish I could tell you why we keep getting hit here in Kentucky. And I would answer him, but I would hate to cheapen or politicize what these victims of our global warming climate emergency are going through right now governor. Anyway, more related news later on in our Green News Report today. But first, in very related news, and to be honest, this story broke yesterday as we were just finishing up. The headlines started coming across my iPhone. But given the subject matter, a deal supposedly agreed to by Joe Manchin on taxes, health care and climate, I figured it best to wait and make sure that it was actually for real (laughs) before even mentioning it at the end of yesterday's broadcast without being able to uh, actually learn more about it. So let's start. uh, Let's start here today for context. One year ago today, Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin signed a secret deal, one that we ended up hearing about not long after when the uh, one-page agreement apparently scratched out in bullet points by Joe Manchin himself had leaked to Politico. The deal was to deliver a $1.5 trillion reconciliation bill that would include, quote, no additional handouts or transfer payments on any health or family care policies and investments in, quote, fuel-neutral energy with carbon capture technologies mandated for fossil fuel infrastructure, a zero-emission vehicle credit that included hydrogen fuel cell cars. Now, depending on how hydrogen is made, it can be very fossil fuel intensive, uh, though there are ways to make it from renewable energy. Does he do I think that's the difference between so-called green hydrogen and 
blue hydrogen? So yes, so green hydrogen is hydrogen that is created from wind and solar uh-huh. or other or geothermal even. Blue hydrogen is fossil fuel generated hydrogen, mostly natural gas. Blue is only blue if it is accompanied by carbon capture and sequestration, which is not commercially scalable right now. So in reality, gray hydrogen is what we are referring to when we talk about fossil fuel generated hydrogen. So gray hydrogen versus green hydrogen. Okay. So, and that's what uh, Joe Manchin has long been pushing for because he can continue to use coal. Exactly. And his family can continue to make money. Anyway, there would also be parity for both renewable and fossil fuel tax credits uh, among the measures to help pay for that deal, that $1.5 trillion deal. In the past. In the past, where a corporate minimum tax of 15% and an end to the uh, carried interest loophole. At the time, it was to have been called the Build Back Better bill, making good on Joe Biden's campaign promises and a landmark progressive agenda for the president and for the Democratic Party. As David Dayen, our friend, writes at uh, the American Prospect today for 364 days, Manchin went back and forth on pretty much all of those provisions as the Democrats tried to placate him to win his vote which would be needed in order to pass such a bill with only uh, Democratic votes. There are only 50 of them right now in the U.S. Senate to pass uh, a legislation like this under special Senate reconciliation rules that allow for certain budget-related bills to be passed without needing to overcome a filibuster, which would require 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. But Manchin kept going back and forth anyway, even on his own agreement. Rejecting the bill outright, says Dayan, then crawling back to the table, going into bargaining with Schumer, leaving that bargaining, coming back. And now one year to the day later, since that one page secret agreement, well, guess what? We have a bill and it's not called Build Back Better, but it is called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which includes everything in That previous paragraph and actually a lot more on both energy and climate, surprisingly enough, plus on the Affordable Care Act uh, or Obamacare uh, subsidies for the Obamacare exchanges and prescription drug price reforms. Overall, the bill spends four hundred and thirty three billion, a little over one trillion less than that original top line, with much of its revenue going to deficit reduction. It actually brings in more than four hundred and thirty three billion. But a lot of that goes straight back into deficit reduction. Dan says there is no such thing as a genuine surprise in Washington. Usually. This, he explains, was a genuine surprise. He says uh, he, he says he had been talking to people this week who would or should have known that talks between Manchin and Schumer thought to be dead were actually taking place. He said the closest I got to foreknowledge was one source saying that they just did not believe it. An army of reporters and lobbyists and hangers on did not know this was happening. Now, one reason for the secrecy Perhaps above and beyond the embarrassing failures and collapses of previous negotiations, thanks to Joe Manchin continually walking away after changing his mind about something. Another reason for the secrecy was that Chuck Schumer. And this is hard to believe, but Chuck Schumer was also 
apparently scheming to put one over on Mitch McConnell. Yes, you heard me right. He outmaneuvered Mitch McConnell, it's, apparently. Uh, apparently. It's usually the other way around. This time, however, it does look, at least so far, like Schumer might have put one over on McConnell for a change. Uh, the reveal, Day and reports, was made uh, of this bill was made just a few hours after the Senate had cleared a bill called the Chips and Science Act, a bill that, among other things, offers semiconductor manufacturers about $50 billion in subsidies for uh, reshoring and boosts science programs to increase competition with China and so forth. Mitch McConnell had actually threatened that bill a few weeks ago. It was a bill that had bipartisan support. McConnell said, no, it ain't going to pass if you guys do this uh, this Build Back Better version. If you dare to make life even slightly better for Americans, we will block it. We're going to kill. We're not only going to block it. We're going to. Yeah, we're going to kill the, the, the chips. Everything. Bill. Yes. Right. Which was uh, something that uh, Schumer really wanted to see passed. But, yeah, he said if if the Democrats persisted with their attempt to pass this reconciliation bill, raising taxes and boosting clean energy, he was going to blow everything up. Well, when Manchin walked away from negotiations with Schumer about two weeks ago over those two specific items, the tax increases and the clean energy provisions, McConnell apparently let his guard down. He allowed a vote on chips. Uh, which was popular with many of his own colleagues. Schumer and Manchin waited until that cleared the Senate on Wednesday before hours later announcing this reconciliation deal with taxes and climate back in it. As Dayan observes, if you told me a cosmic ray hit Washington and flipped everyone's brains... giving Schumer the Machiavellian cunning of a Republican and giving McConnell the guileless approach... Of a Democrat, that might be a more plausible explanation for this display than what turns out to actually be the truth. It's a near legendary turn of events, he says, that infuriated McConnell so much he then took hostage a bill to give dying veterans exposed to toxic burn pits medical care. Something which Republicans had overwhelmingly passed just a few weeks ago, but it needed another vote because it needed a technical fix, which McConnell, I believe, still, as we go to air, is now holding that hostage. Good luck, veterans exposed to toxic burn pits who need medical care. I hope Schumer makes them vote against it. The combination of the revival of the uh, Biden agenda and uh, red-faced Republicans making terrible choices on highly popular legislation, notes Dayan, is one for the ages. And that comes from the progressive David Dayan, uh, as I said, a friend, a frequent guest on the show. He's executive editor of the American Prospect. He is usually so far ahead of the curve that he is surprised by nothing. <laughs> True. This one actually caught him off guard, incredibly enough. And, of course, it caught us off guard as well. So to what uh, does Dayan chalk up Manchin's change of position here and interest in getting back to the uh, negotiating table after he walked away two weeks ago? Well, according to uh, an interview with Manchin in Politico last night, it took him all of four days after killing the deal two weeks ago to then ask Schumer to restart it. What happened in that time? Well, Manchin was clearly bothered by being blamed by everyone, justifiably. 
as the man who let the Biden agenda die and the planet burn. He went on local radio, insisted he hadn't actually ended anything, that he just wanted to see the July inflation numbers first before agreeing to anything. Sure, Joe. In fact, those numbers will not be out for several more weeks. But for some reason, he was happy to finally come up with a deal. Manchin, notes David, was attacked in op-eds that detailed, quote, what Manchin cost us. That was a New York Times op-ed written by Dr. Leah Stokes, our guest on last week's broadcast. She's a lead technical advisor to Democrats on climate policy. And in uh, all sorts of uh, establishment news stories that made very clear who was responsible for killing all of this. Also, reportedly, economist and former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers told Manchin in a meeting that his rationale about climate investment and tax increases being inflationary was nonsense. So his Achilles heel, writes David, is Elite accountability. He did not want to be targeted by elites as the bad guy, the man who dashed Democratic hopes alone all by himself. So I guess his love, uh, his need to be loved by the elites haunted Manchin into making this deal. I see what you did there. You're welcome. Uh, He wilted under pressure, and uh, as uh, David notes, the irony is that many, many, many millions of dollars were spent trying to prop up Build Back Better in very traditional ways when all was needed was prime placement in the op-ed pages that Manchin reads to make him feel uncomfortable. So, hey, whatever it takes. And frankly, I'm still not 100% convinced that he won't pull the football out from Charlie Brown again, but for the moment, at least he appears to be in on this thing. We'll see if the rest of the Democrats, who will be needed in both the House and Senate, are in as well as they comb through what is now a 725-page bill. It clocks in not at 2 or $3 trillion, as Dems had previously tried to negotiate with him, not even at one and a half trillion, as he had previously agreed to one year ago today in that secret deal. But it comes in at about seven hundred and forty billion in revenue instead. Only four hundred and forty or so actually get spent. But the good news, uh, though, it's got a lower price tag because it leaves out a bunch of stuff like child tax care credits and free community college. The stuff that is in the bill, according to folks pouring over it today, seem uh, seem to be pretty good by and large, even if, as ever, the devil is in the details. And it is still unknown whether all Democrats, as needed in the Senate, with just uh, four votes to spare in the U.S. House, we'll have to see if they all come aboard to pass this thing. If they do, it's a pretty big deal that could prove to be a big boost for no, uh, Democrats this November. We'll see. They could use one. If they don't, if Manchin or anyone else critical here pulls out, it'll just be one more disaster, of course, for Biden's agenda. So, yeah, the stakes here are very high for Democrats and, frankly, for Republicans alike. Most importantly, however, there's a lot of good stuff in here for regular Americans, never mind Democrats and Republicans, just Americans. Even with some of the stuff that I have some concerns about. But on balance, it sounds, at least right now, 
like it'll be good to get this thing passed and, if needed, corrected later. So, with that long backgrounder, what's actually in and out of this bill? Top-line stuff, and then we can dig into some of the details. Lower prescription drug costs. The bill would allow the Medicare program, finally, to negotiate prescription drug prices with pharmaceutical companies. That's a longtime Democratic and progressive goal. It'll save the government about $288 billion over the 10-year budget window that is in play here in this reconciliation bill. Those new revenues would be put back into lowering costs for seniors on medications, including a $2,000 out-of-pocket cap for older adults buying prescriptions from pharmacies. The bill would extend the subsidies provided during the COVID-19 pandemic to help some Americans who buy health insurance on the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare exchanges, uh, making those cheaper. Under earlier pandemic relief, the, there was extra help, but it was set to expire this year. This bill would allow that to keep going for three more years. The bill would invest $369 billion over the decade in climate change fighting strategies, including investment in renewable energy production and tax rebates for consumers to buy new or used electric vehicles. Hey, good news. If this passes... You can save 7500 bucks on a new electric car. Schumer says the bill uh, will cut carbon emissions by 40% by 2035, which, if true, would be a huge, accompl- a huge accomplishment. We'll drill down into some of those uh, details, however, <laughs> in a moment. I know yes. you're chomping at I the know. bit. Des. I know, I am. I'll get there. Uh, and how to pay for all of this? Well, the biggest revenue raiser in the bill is a new 15% minimum tax on corporations that earn $1 billion in annual profits or more. Many of them pay zero taxes now, even though they make a billion dollars, not in revenue, but in profits. Each year, some pay zero taxes. That will now change. This measure will finally do away with most of the loopholes they use to avoid paying taxes uh, so that even the large companies end up paying something, at least 15 percent of their profits. This clamps down on some 200 U.S. companies that avoid paying the standard 21 percent corporate tax rate, which is already one of the lowest in the world. And this uh, plan, by the way, is based loosely on Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren's uh, 2020 campaign initiative. Money is also raised by boosting the IRS to go after tax cheats. $80 billion investment in the IRS that the Congressional Budget Office says will raise $124 billion in revenue just by going after cheaters. The Biden administration thinks it's going to be much higher as far as what they're able to bring in with this uh, investment. There's also a, by the way, a $15 million pilot program to study a direct e-file tax return system. Ooh, that would be nice. Long overdue. This would be administered by the government instead of a private you know, tax preparer like Intuit, the company. The administration has a keen interest in this. So, you know, folks can then just go to the IRS website and fill in their taxes right there. Especially since the IRS pretty much already knows what you made and what you owe. So you don't have to go out and buy, you know, third party software or go to a tax preparer. 
Uh, so there'll be a, a pilot program there if this passes and the bill sticks with uh, Biden's original longtime pledge to not raise taxes on families or businesses making less than $400,000 a year. Please keep that in mind because Republicans will inevitably start lying about this. Uh, Democrats are raising your taxes. What they actually mean is that Democrats are raising taxes on their wealthy friends, the friends of Republicans, the donors of Republicans, not on everyday Americans, no matter how much they will. And I promise lie to you about exactly that if this bill passes. And Republicans are going to work very hard to blur the distinction when they say raising taxes. Americans are going to pay more taxes. Well, the rich ones. So, yeah, please don't let them uh, bl- lie about this between now and November, at least if the bill is ultimately passed. With uh, some $739 billion now in new revenues, $433 billion in new investments, the bill promises to put the differences toward deficit reduction. Federal deficits have spiked during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic under both Trump and Biden. Although they have come down under Biden. And so this uh, latest package, after months of start and stop negotiation, leaves behind a number of uh, Biden's goals that didn't make it in. Congress did pass a one trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill for highway broadband, other investments last year. But a continuation of a three hundred dollar a month a child tax credit that was sending money directly to families during the pandemic. It was credited with raising millions of children out of poverty. Well, that's not included here. You can thank Joe Manchin for that. Also yep. gone. Uh, free pre-kindergarten and free community college. Also, thanks to Joe Manchin and the nation's first family uh, leave program that would have provided up to $4,000 a month for births and deaths and other pivotal needs. And, of course, brought America up to the standards of almost all of the civilized world. But again, thanks, Joe Manchin. It's going to take a couple more Democratic senators to get stuff like that. Apparently so. So let's dig into some of this uh, uh, climate section a little bit more, Desi Doyen. Uh, I want to go back to uh, Dan's coverage for this. Uh, I know you have a lot of thoughts here. Environmentalists are still pouring through this uh, 725 page bill. Uh, written in legislatees, so it's not always easy to make sense of, of course. Uh, and, of course, Manchin's fortune, family fortune, is built on a coal business and, and millions in campaign largesse that he takes in from the fossil fuel industry. So, yeah, devil in the details. As Dan reports at The Prospect, and I'll get your thoughts on this, Des, uh, he says you, you will hear a lot of uh, you will hear a lot that this is the largest climate action taken by the U.S. government in history, which is true. But as Dan notes, those statements tell you nothing because it's a compared to what scenario? Yeah, very low bar. Yeah. Because we just haven't spent much of anything on climate. It's been attempted many times by Democrats in Congress, but it's been blocked every time by Republicans. So for something to pass, if it passes, this would be huge. 
it would be huge, but again, still compared not to what? Yeah. yeah, still not enough. Uh, on its own terms, uh, he writes this narrows energy investment from $550 billion in the initial Build Back Better Act to $369 billion, which I will note is still a pretty big chunk of change. And spent over 10 years, and by the yes, way. And yes, by the way. The largest climate action in U.S. government history. <laughs> but yes, go ahead. Uh, uh, spent spend, over yeah. 10 years. So, you know, it's a, it's not as large as it may sound. sound. Yeah. yeah. But there is also a climate bank and climate accelerator, he notes, that could allow for another $290 billion in investment from the private sector. Desi Doyen, what is a climate bank or climate accelerator? A climate bank is... Sounds uh, like something from a Marvel movie. Let's get in the climate <laughs> accelerator. Yeah. They're, they're often called green banks. They are okay. nonprofit banks that uh, and other financial institutions that leverage public and private funds to invest in clean energy technology and infrastructure. So, like, uh, it would be, in, in legalese, a publicly capitalized entity established specifically to facilitate private investment into domestic, low-carbon, climate-resilient infrastructure. And it does that to overcome the usual barriers that you would see from a private for-profit bank that is focused solely on a high return on investment. Gotcha. Sort of. <laughs> Included in all of this is a so-called uh, all-of-the-above energy strategy with incentives for, yes, fossil fuel production, with but with carbon capture, with imaginary carbon capture. There's that. Uh, offshore oil and gas, though with a larger royalty payment for it. So it'll cost uh, the, the oil companies a bit more to uh, exploit this. Uh, biofuel production and more. This was, of course, the only way to get Manchin to buy in on this. Yes. Uh, this trade of sustaining carbon emissions, hopefully slightly cleaner ones for the green transition. So you got any insight into what that really means, Desiree? Um, yeah, I think that there is a lot that's in there that was given specifically to Manchin because he wants to extend the fossil fuel industry as long as possible. And carbon capture and sequestration, CCS for short, carbon capture is one of the big things that the fossil fuel industry is pushing for and they want taxpayers to help them. And that literally means, you know, even though they're the most profitable industry in the mm-hmm. history of Kind, but they still want taxpayer help. And that means that they would basically capture the carbon, literally, and store it somewhere. So we still burn the fossil fuels. Right. It still gives off carbon. But before that can get into the atmosphere, we capture it through a magical device and put it in some magical place so that it doesn't increase carbon emissions. Yeah, and that is separate from carbon dioxide removal, uh-huh. which is actually pulling carbon dioxide from the air, and that is a, a, a pretty advanced, uh, innovative system that we might actually get some good use out of. Where so we we'll see. suck out yeah, the carbon that's already in the air. machines that do that. So this is not... Uh, carbon dioxide removal. It is carbon capture for the fossil fuel industry. So those great big machines that suck out the carbon, uh, all we need is the energy to run them. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. From oh, I don't and know. And there's going to be fuels? some applications yeah. okay. for it. So I should, okay. you know, we shouldn't say right. absolutely never, but you know, it's it's not going to be the the be all end all savior that the fossil fuel industry wants it to be. Overall, the the claim is that the bill is going to reduce emissions by forty percent by twenty thirty. That's roughly four fifths of what the original Build Back Better bill did. So not terrible, if true, though that you know, wasn't enough even then to meet the crisis that we face, as I see it. Also, Manchin secured a provision that basically requires oil and gas land leases 
to continue in exchange for the government to uh, to issue right-of-way permits both onshore and offshore for renewable wind and solar projects. So if we want to have new wind projects, we must promise to make land available yes. to the oil and gas companies. It's not that it has to be leased. It has to be made and offered up for leasing if the renewable energy sites uh, on public lands mm-hmm. will be allowed. So, yes, it still binds the U.S. to fossil fuel production, and it uh, does tie the success of renewable energy on public lands to the fate of fossil fuels on those same public lands. But limited success is better than none at all. Well, that's the theory. Yes. Uh, and by the way, uh, a lot of these land leases of late uh, to oil and gas companies have not come to pass. They haven't been interested. They well, already they have, have come more to pass than because, they... because the, the, the administration is required by law to mm-hmm. hold onshore yeah. and offshore lease sales. So they have to do it. But you're right. There has been limited interest in many of these parcels yeah. that have been made available. So it's very possible that there won't be a whole lot of interest. And it's really possible that there will not be very much production on these lands that are made available. There's also some uh, stuff here that might make possible permitting for a, uh, a a pipeline in West Virginia that Joe Manchin would like very much. However, what would be it's called per- permitting reform and it must be done by the end of September. However, yes. this bill would have to pass, I think, first. So uh, we will see if this bill passes and then someone pulls the old uh, Lucy in the football on Joe Manchin. We shall see. On his pipeline. Although one can expect that Republicans in the House will be very happy to support it, so it might actually pass. But even then, the permitting reform would also help streamline renewable energy projects. So there is a, a give and take here. It ain't perfect, but it does move it forward. As ever, uh, Dan reminds us again, all of this is not over. Schumer wants to put this on the floor next week. The measure, um, the, the measures were all all things uh, that Arizona's corrupt Democratic Senator Kirsten Cinema previously supported. But in fact, she also was reportedly blindsided by this deal. So she has not said she is on board. There could be other opponents in both the House and the Senate. We don't yet know about yet. After summarizing all of that and more as far as what's in the bill, President Biden uh, explained just what this all means and how difficult it is to get it through at the White House today, where he's uh, now back at work after kicking COVID. Now, look, I know it can be sometimes seem like nothing gets done in Washington. (laughs) I know it never crossed any of your minds, but the work of the government can be slow and frustrating and sometimes even infuriating. Then the hard work of hours and days and months from people who refuse to give up pays off. History is made. Lives are changed. With this legislation, we're facing up to some of our biggest problems, and we're taking a giant step forward as a nation. We will see if that uh, hard work does pay off. Yes. President Biden at the White House on Thursday. So uh, what's the final verdict? Well, as our friend David Dayan sees it, uh, it is nothing short of a miracle that Manchin came back to the bargaining table thanks to an inside-outside game that was one of the few examples of smart tactical strategy by Democrats in the past two years. And as David argued last year in the New York Times, uh, it is far superior to do a few less things and do them well. Laying out a climate, health care, and tax bill in March of 2021 Well, that would have saved a year plus of heartache that ruined Democratic approval ratings and created a sense of futility. 
He notes, this isn't perfect, but it is what the system could bear. And it got the big thing, a plan to protect the planet from the worst ravages of global heating. About 80 percent right, he says. So uh, is that akin to what you're hearing, uh, what you're reading elsewhere from uh, from your climate folks, Des? Yes, I think you can say across the board that most of them are excited that something, anything is getting <laughs> passed. But there is, of course, a very strong uh, policy response that, you know, a lot of them are saying that uh, this is terrible. They can't believe that it's tied to fossil fuel mm-hmm. uh, production. Yeah. But the good news is that uh, that something is getting put onto the books, which has not been there before. And those environmental groups are calling on Biden to still uh, use his executive powers to declare a climate emergency and all of that. So there is much more that can be done, and they are saying that they're going to keep pushing. Now, uh, so the fight will continue. We will see if this thing passes, as far as I'm concerned, until it's signed by the president. It is still a big if. But if this thing passes, well, it may be one of those X factors that I've been talking about in recent weeks when trying to urge you to not listen to the so-called experts and their conventional wisdom about how Democrats are going to be shellacked this November. They might be. History suggests as much. But uh, these are not conventional times. I got a bit more evidence of that coming up next on today's broadcast, plus Desi Doyen and her latest Green News report. All of that's ahead today. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Facing the strange every day here on the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, uh, yes, I have been uh, uh, speaking, uh, warning, noting, I don't know how to describe it, uh, for a number of weeks now, that though conventional wisdom does have it that Democrats are going to just take a beating this November... And that absolutely could certainly be true based on history. Never mind conventional wisdom, because these are decidedly unconventional times. And I've been arguing you'd be off your rocker to bet on conventional wisdom this November, as insane as the world has become. So, I mean, there are just too many X factors, some of which have talked about uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade by our newly and wildly corrupt Supreme Court to the uh, continuing January 6th insurrection hearings investigating the former president's attempt to steal the last presidential election. And by the way, the great mass of his Republican Party who went along with it to a a Supreme Court case that is coming up in October called Moore v. Harper that I've spent some time telling you about that might make stealing elections by gerrymandered Republican state legislatures suddenly legal. 
Then there's the possibility of indictments for Donald Trump and a bunch of other Republicans. And, of course, whatever behavior Donald Trump we would see from him if, in fact, he is indicted uh, prior to the election. Anyway, take your pick. These are not conventional times. And while most TV pundits and op-ed experts are out there warning of a uh, dempocalypse <laughs> this uh, this year, yes, uh, I, I do note that in recent days, last week or so, I have been seeing uh, some of those folks beginning to hedge that bet for many of the reasons that I've been arguing in recent weeks and months. Finally... Now, Josh Marshall has also been noting uh, similar of late over a Talking Points memo. He's been keeping an eye on some of the polling suggesting that things may, emphasis may, not be as bad for Democrats as previously predicted by the TV geniuses. Uh, He writes, I've been noting that there are more disconnects than usual in making sense of the 2022 election. He wrote this uh, over the past weekend. He said a lot of things don't quite seem to fit. Is this a continuing upheaval of the last two years? Is it a shift in the trend or just wishful thinking? He's talking about the trend, you know, when you've got, I mean, historically, the out uh, the, the party in power in the first midterm elections of a presidency takes a drubbing. And that's even more so the case when the president is unpopular, as is the case now. It often has happened. It is not a law. Not always. It's right. Not a requirement. Uh, Anyway, he writes our friend Nate Silver's 538.com's forecasts include several different versions. One uh, is a mix of polls plus expert opinion and historical patterns and fundraising and voting patterns and more. So it's not just this forecast is not just based on polling, but all of these other things like history, which may not come into play or come into play differently this year than, than might be expected. That's the that's the forecast that most people are referring to when they cite 538's uh, forecast as far as, uh, you know, whether Senate uh, Democrats are going to hold the Senate or lose the Senate and so forth. Uh, He says uh, Josh notes that that uh, forecast currently shows the Senate to be 50 50 between Democrats and Republican control. Who's going to win? It's straight up in the air. 50 50. In the House, he knows it's 85 to 15 in favor of the GOP. That's not a poll. That's a forecast of the odds of who is going to control the House after November. Technically, these are the percentage of times that the computer simulation gives a victory to each side, he notes. But when you look at the polls only forecast, something pretty stark happens. The Senate goes from 50 50 to 64-34 in favor of Democratic control, just based on polls alone. The House goes from 85-15 in favor of the GOP to 73-27 in favor of the GOP. To put it simply, he notes what this means is that when you look solely at polling, things look substantially better. For the Democrats, then when you factor in historical voting patterns, expert opinions, various other non-polling information, what does it mean, he asks? I have no idea, he answers. And he notes this is a good moment to be cognizant of the role of wishful thinking. But 
Something is going on in that divergence where Democrats are doing well, even though history and the presidential approval rating and all of that uh, is going in the other direction. He says, in fact, a number of major election handicapping services have recently pulled back at least some from their previous GOP wave predictions. The best way to look at the divergence is to say that if you've got a hunch or a wish that this election cycle is operating by significantly different dynamics than the norm, well, that divergence now gives you some real evidence for that theory. You know, it's evidence is not proof, of course, but, uh, well, <laughs> Note it in your uh, put it stick a pin in that because he then follows up like this yesterday. Three new congressional generic polls have all come out over the past 24 hours, two of which give the Democrats a six point advantage and one of which gives a four point margin. That's in the generic congressional polls where they ask uh, voters, would you prefer uh, a, a dem- would, you know, will you vote for a generic Democrat or for a generic Republican for the U.S. House this year? Three new polls, all giving a fairly substantive advantage, anywhere from four to six points, to the Democrats. One of the six-point margins, he notes, is actually a Republican Party poll. He says why they chose to release it, I'm not really sure. Various other midterm metrics continue to move slowly but perceptively in Democrats' direction. As we've discussed, the House especially is still very much an uphill battle for Democrats. And I would add, if only due to the new gerrymandering in Republican states this year. I suspect, I haven't seen the math on this, but if uh, Americans voted exactly as they did in 2020, I believe that Republicans would end up with control of the U.S. House just by virtue of the way the maps have been gamed. By Republicans Republicans in Republican-controlled states. Because, hey, guess what? State elections matter, too, and those are also up in November. Uh, And because uh, the courts allowed the Republicans to get away with it, where the courts did not allow Democratic states to get away with it. Uh, Josh notes this trend makes me think Democrats holding the House in November is definitely possible and getting more likely, not remotely a lost cause. One additional data point that he cites comes from Morning Consult about one of those uh, new congressional generic ballot polls. It notes that continuing that the continuing disconnect between the popularity of the president and the popularity of members of his party serving in Congress. It's a persistent disjuncture and one of the factors that has led to a growing reevaluation of the dynamics of this election in November. Uh, He notes that polling density now, meaning the increase in the number of polls that we are now seeing, that has increased enough over the last few months that observers have decided that the disjuncture is not a fluke or an artifact of limited polling. The new Morning Consult poll also suggests that the January 6 hearings are seriously souring independence on Donald Trump, and that shift is in turn showing up in these generic ballot numbers. At least according to this one poll, uh, the weight of the January 6 hearings is 
pushing voters to see the midterms more as a choice between Republicans and Democrats rather than a referendum on the president or the state of the country generally, which is generally what these midterm elections tend to be, a referendum on the president. At least the media tells us that constantly. Right. And it is usually the case. Usually it is a reaction to, uh, you know, an unpopular president. Here, however, the president remains unpopular for right now. And yet... Voters are still preferring Democrats, at least in these generic polls. And that is a divergence from what we usually see in the historic patterns. This is one of the things that I've been trying to tell people about, you know, don't become dispirited. There will be plenty of time to be dispirited. But for now, uh, get to work over the last six weeks. Josh notes the 538 average of the congressional generic ballot has moved from a 2.6 point. Uh, GOP advantage, averaging all of the generic polls together, to now just a half a point GOP average. That's only a two-point movement. It's small, and frankly, I would say Democrats uh, have to be leading in the generic polling averages by at least four or five points in order to hold a majority there, thanks to a number of factors, including gerrymandering. But across dozens of polls, writes Josh, and probably tens of thousands of voters who participated in those polls, we can be fairly confident that this is a real movement towards the Democrats rather than simply statistical noise of any one poll. So movement, yes. Fait accompli, absolutely not. Wishful thinking, maybe so. But the point is, Nobody knows. And the larger point, this nation is savable this November. As long as voters turn out and Democrats and progressives and those who actually oppose autocracy, if they turn out this year and they vote like it, vote like they mean it, vote in favor of democracy, even if that means voting for Democrats. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Once again, uh, since we laid down our latest Green News report earlier today, uh, we've got word that three have died in Kentucky. And the death toll is likely to rise. Likely to uh, rise greatly uh, as the flash flooding continues there uh, and the rescue efforts continue as well as we have had insane weather all week and, well, really the last several weeks across much of the world, as discussed along with everything else in today's. Green News Report. So what was once the Build Back Better bill that was going to make a huge impact potentially with climate is now going to be called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Manchin and Schumer reach deal on climate bill. Russia slashes gas deliveries to Europe, plus... This is one of the largest, if not the largest, vehicle procurement 
in history. U.S. Postal Service quadruples its plan to buy all electric delivery trucks. All of that quadruplication and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Out west, the extreme heat comes with a side of drought. California has imposed water restrictions this year. It's gotten so bad, Disneyland had to change the name of Splash Mountain to Dusty Gulch. (laughs) Based on a true story, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, Lucy has teed up the football once again for Charlie Brown. I mean, Joe Manchin has claimed to make a deal with Chuck Schumer on a climate bill. Yes, indeed. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced on Wednesday that he has reached a deal with obstructionist Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia to advance legislation on health care, energy, and climate. The bill would raise $740 billion over 10 years through a tax on corporations and the wealthy, with $370 billion of that going to fund climate and clean energy initiatives. That's great. While some Democrats have expressed support for the surprise deal. The devil may be in the details of the 725-page bill, which environmental groups are studying as we go to air. Though Schumer and Manchin claim it will cut carbon emissions 40 percent by 2030, That's great. it also appears to include gifts to the fossil fuel industry what? to win Manchin over. One provision, for example, seems to only allow the approval of wind and solar projects on public lands if oil and gas lease sales continue with millions of acres made available onshore and offshore every year. So to get renewable energy, we have to promise to keep developing oil and gas. Exactly. That means President Biden won't be able to halt new oil and gas leasing on federal lands if it passes. Schumer says he will bring up the bill for a vote within a week. All 50 Democrats would be needed in the Senate for passage, along with passage in the House. We will see if they and Manchin... Actually vote for it. We will see. Meanwhile, the climate crisis continues unabated. In Nevada, a third set of human remains has been recovered in rapidly declining Lake Mead, which is drying up due to the historic climate-intensified mega-drought in the West. To be clear, these are remains that were put in there decades ago. One hopes. Exactly. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, drought has reduced the Rio Grande River to a trickle for the first time in 40 years. The Pacific Northwest is grappling with a dangerous multi-day extreme heat wave that has set new heat records in Seattle, Portland, and other cities. And St. Louis, Missouri, on Tuesday, was hit with an historic deluge that shattered the city's single-day rainfall record. Some areas saw at least 12 inches of rain in mere hours, which triggered deadly flash flooding, requiring hundreds of water rescues across the area. Meteorologist Bob Henson of Yale Climate Connection says, quote, record rain in St. Louis is what climate change looks like. Everything is fine. 
In other news, in Europe, to the surprise of no one, Russia's state-owned energy giant Gazprom has announced it will slash gas pipeline deliveries to Europe to just 20 percent of normal capacity. EU leaders say Russia is using energy blackmail to splinter the coalition's united opposition to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russia's squeeze play has intensified global competition for fossil gas supplies, pushing up prices everywhere. Of course, prices were already surging due to skyrocketing demand during multiple concurrent heat waves across the northern hemisphere. But there is a bit of good news. Public pressure has forced the U.S. Postal Service to backtrack on its controversial plan to replace its ancient gas-guzzling delivery trucks with new gas-guzzling delivery (laughs) trucks. Originally, the Postal Service said it would electrify only 10 percent of the 165,000 vehicles to be replaced. But after a massive public pressure campaign by everyday Americans and environmental groups, the Postal Service now says at least 40 percent of the trucks will be all electric. And that matters for climate change because these delivery trucks will be used for decades. And it also matters for cleaning up neighborhood air pollution. On a recent broadcast, attorney Adrian Martinez of nonprofit environmental law firm Earth Justice said electrifying 40 percent of the fleet is not enough, but they will continue to push the Postal Service to go to 100 percent. This public pressure is working. You still got a long way to go with them, but You know, it shows you that the more you weigh in, the more you can make progress. Keep up the pressure. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Keep up the pressure. Indeed. It does seem to make a difference, not just with the U.S. Postal Service, but also with Congress and your senators, your House representatives, your state legislatures, your county executives. Everybody would love to hear from you and love to know what you want them to <laughs> they do. They would love it. Yes. Uh, by the way, is it David Bowie Day on the broadcast? It must have, I, be. have I noticed that? Uh, there's that. <laughs> yes. Which always makes every day a little bit better, which we hope we have done for you today. Made your day slightly better, uh, slightly less like you want to go out and... Uh, destroy, I don't yeah. know. Uh, take your pick. <laughs> anyway, we have to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we have made it worth your while. If you missed any portion of today's program or just want to listen again or want to share it with your friends and families and uh, fellow co-workers. And enemies. And enemies, <laughs> particularly if they are your co-workers, <laughs> you can uh, drop by bradblog.com, download all the shows we've ever done in our lives for free, no paywall at all. Thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate, where our de facto summer fun drive continues. Uh, and we would sure love to get a few more uh, uh, automated subscriptions of any amount you like before all is said and done. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Pretty please and thank you. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. I will see you there at all of the above. Until we meet again next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>